Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour. <laughs> That's important. Uh, and you say, this is written 2,000 years ago. It, it, it was. Um, because really, this is applicable because in Bible time, it's not hours, not 60 minutes. It's the, last, it's the last day, as Scripture would say. So this is, the final, this is the final season. Christ has come back. He has risen from the dead. And we are now living in what Scripture calls the last days. Um, so that, that, that's still true, even though this is written 2,000 years ago. But actually, it's also true because... You, you don't have much time left. <laughs> Even if the world itself is going to continue for another 11 million years. That's not a word, but um, even if the world is going to, you aren't. And this might be literally your last 60 minutes. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. And so there's a sense of urgency here. This is important. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, or the Antichrist, how would they have heard that? little book called the book of Revelation, which John, the writer of 1 John, wrote. John wrote the book of Revelation. Some believe that John wrote the book of Revelation before he wrote the book of 1 John, that 1 John is more of a follow-up to the book of Revelation. And that sort of makes sense because he says here, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now, in the book of Revelation, that's where uh, you read about the, the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns or whatever. I, I, I get it confused. Uh, you have the Antichrist who rises up and, uh, you know, makes people take the mark of the beast. And uh, it's this, all this pretty fantastical stuff going on. And John says, you've heard about the Antichrist, but even now, he says, many Antichrists, plural, have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. Look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, this is not a passage about folks who leave your church. (laughs) I've heard some preachers use it in that way. Um, Just because they went out from you doesn't mean they they went out. You know what I'm saying? There's other churches other than your church, <laughs> dear pastor. So uh, it's not, but what he's talking about, he's, when he says they went out from us, now this isn't written to a specific church. This isn't the church in Ephesus or the church of Philippi. This is John talking about they went out from us or from the body of Christ. They left the teachings of Christ, left the body of Christ. These are people who are anti-Christs. Now it's interesting that you could have an anti-Christ in the church. That's what he's saying. You can, that these antichrists, plural, they originated in the church. They originated, they were, they were people that rubbed shoulders with, that worshiped with, that sang there's another in the fire with. Uh, and, and, and then they went out from them or they left the teachings of Christ. They left the church. And John is saying that they went out because they did not really belong to us. Do you see that? So there are some people who maybe are with you, but they don't belong to you. 
He's drawing a clear distinction that there are some who might go to church with you. There are some who might worship with you, but they might not belong to the same thing that you belong to because we belong to Christ. And these anti-Christs did not belong to Christ. They liked to stay within the peripheral of Christ. They liked the affiliation with Christ. So being anti-Christ is not like, I hate Christ. Anti-Christ means to come alongside Christ but not want to get in Christ. They want to be close to, but not in. They want to associate with, but not be a part of. And that's, that's the key difference here. And so, uh, you know, you could spend a lot of time preaching on that passage, but I, I think suffice it to say that there's some people maybe even who have been in your life, but they are not of the same thing that you are of, and so they do not need to stay in your life. And when they walk out of your life, let them walk. Don't pursue people that are not a part of the same thing you're a part of. If they don't belong to Christ, then they don't belong with you. That doesn't mean you can't have non-Christian friends. It doesn't mean that you can't connect with other people. But I'm talking about deep connections. I'm talking about people who, who you think belong to the same thing that you belong to. And when they, when they reveal to you that they don't, John is saying, we just, we just let them go. We didn't chase them down. We didn't say, oh, I think they're doing a little better this week, right? Their behavior's changed. No, this isn't about behavior. This is about what they belong to. This has to do with, with something much deeper than behavior. And because John says, look, we didn't know that at first. We knew that after. We, they, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. In other words, we didn't know that they weren't of us. They didn't belong to the same thing we belonged to until they went out from us. In other words, you got to let some things work themselves out. <laughs> Time has a wonderful way of revealing motivation. <laughs> Time has a wonderful way of revealing your motivation, my motivation, others' motivation. It has a wonderful way. Uh, it, time just works itself out, which is why some patience is necessary when you're walking with God. You can't judge things before it's time. You can't judge people before their time. You have to let things work out a little bit. And you begin to see it. But when you see it, John says, don't go chase them. Don't go try to rearrange it. Don't try to fix it. Allow that they're not a part of what you're a part of. And so he allowed them to leave the church. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. I like this verse right here. But you, verse 20, but you. Now the, the people listening to the, the people reading this text, he says, I'm not talking to you because you haven't gone out from them. <laughs> he says, you are, you are among us. You are among the churches. This letter was to be passed from church to church to church to church. All the local bodies uh, throughout the Middle East. He says, but you, there's something different about you. The word but, is, is, it means there's a contrast. But you, he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you, in this translation, says all of you know the truth. Uh, in, in, in other manuscripts, it says, all of you know all things. Um, <laughs> so, all things, or in this case, the truth. He says, all of you know the truth. Can, can you imagine that? Being in a church where everybody, <laughs> everybody, everybody knows the truth. Everybody, and in some manuscripts, it says, all of you know all things. 
Now, it's not the time to, to say anything to your spouse about, about, about anything. But I am just saying that the, this anointing, now this is not through their own wisdom, through their own power, but this anointing that John is talking about causes, apparently, all the people who are a part of, who belong to Christ, <clears throat> causes all of them to know all things or the absolute truth. <clears throat> they know it. And so, and so this is what I would like you to do. I'd like you to turn to somebody and announce my sermon title uh, to them. Based on this passage, just go ahead and tell them, I know everything. Now, some of you that rolled off your tongue way too easily, that's for another day. We're going to have to preach on that. That'll be another sermon. But some of you, that was really, really hard. I got some eyebrows going. I got some, I know. So you got to, look, look, if scripture says it, then you need to say, if scripture says this about you, you need to say this about you. Go, go, go ahead. Uh, babe, this is your one chance. Ro, this is, this is your one chance. <clears throat> Just based on scripture, not based on anything yesterday or anything like that. <laughs> We're not going to go back five years or anything like that. Like, we don't need no history. But based on scripture, go, go ahead and turn to somebody and tell them again, I know everything. <clears throat> I can't see if you're saying it because you, you got your face mask on. What's that? All right. What's that? A little louder? Okay. <laughs> It's awkward for us because we're used to false humility, which breaks us down to, I really don't know very much at all, and I just don't know anything. But this is what, and John is not building up their pride. He says, based on the anointing that you have, you know everything. Now, what in the world? <laughs> How in the world? I know some of you are watching this and you're like, I, I literally can't say that because I'm still trying to figure out what goes on in my wife's head. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know, like, where my socks are. Like, I don't know everything. I'm trying to find that second sock and I, I don't know where all my left socks are. But no, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the scripture is not saying, you know, de the details of everything. He's not saying you know the details to everything. Remember last week I, I preached about and I, I shared a story from my personal life when I was cruising through Miami and I was, I was kind of angry. I was driving and, 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 and God spoke to me, uh, which, yes, you can pray while you're angry. <laughs> That's true. Even, even if you have a bad attitude, you can come before God because, surprise, he knows you have that bad attitude. <laughs> So you might just want to like be real with him. You don't have to clean yourself up first. So anyway, I'm, I'm driving. I was kind of angry. I was stressed and I was fearful. And my flesh was, was, my flesh was hurt because I, I wasn't uh, perceiving myself as successful. And my flesh wanted to be perceived as successful or at least competent. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I wasn't that. And so my flesh was producing this, 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 this horrible attitude inside of me, which was not patient, which was not kind, which was not loving, which was not the fruit of the Spirit. It was the fruit of Harry. And I am exemplifying the fruit of Harry on the freeway in Miami. And, and, and I'm praying, right? And I'm, and I'm struggling because my flesh, see, like God, God called me, but even though God called me when I was 14 years old, even though God called me to preach when I was 12 years old, and then solidified that call when I was 14 years old, and then called me to plant a church when I was 15 years old, even though God may have been a part of the anointing of me and the calling of me, my flesh 
can easily take the call of God and say, okay, well, we got to get going on this. The flesh will be happy to get saved and come to church and put on a suit and even get up and preach. The flesh is fine with all of that. And my flesh had developed this timeline. So, right, I'm 12 years old. I start studying New Testament Greek. I'm 14 years old. I'm called to preach. I start preaching more and more at our church. I'm I'm, I'm 20 years old. I'm I'm, I'm traveling around preaching to other churches. I'm 21. I'm going to Bible college. I'm graduating from Bible college at 24, minoring in New Testament Greek. And yet when God told me to work for this this evangelist where I'm literally just carrying his things, booking his appointments, all of that stuff, my flesh couldn't see how my past lined up with my present and my it couldn't see how my present could possibly line up with my future so my flesh was frustrated and 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 as i'm driving along because the flesh is 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 speaking to me and i'm listening to my flesh i'm frustrated and angry because i can't see how these things work out i have so many questions and if and if and if i were to if i would have been driving and if i would have read this you know all things I would have said, well, no, actually, I don't even know why I went to Bible college. That was a waste of time. I don't even know why I studied New Testament Greek from the time I was 12 until now. That was a waste of time. I don't know why God made me get out of my comfort zone and get up and preach when I was a sort of shy person because that was a waste of time. I don't know why that. I had so many questions about how my past connected to my present and how my present connected to my future. I would not say I know all things. And yet driving along, right, God spoke to me. And I shared about what he spoke to me last week. He said, you have one boss, you have one job, and you have one payday. You have one boss, his name is Jesus. You have one job to be obedient. You have one payday, and that's the judgment seat of Christ. Now, he didn't answer any of my questions. I wasn't asking who my one boss is, when my payday. I don't know. He didn't answer any of my questions, but he answered all of my questions. He suddenly told me everything. What do you mean everything? Well, why did I go to Bible college? Because my one boss told me, Jesus told me to go to Bible college, do my one job, obedience. When am I going to see the fruit of that? On my one payday, the judgment seat of Christ. Answered. Why, why did I study New Testament Greek? Because my one boss... Jesus told me to study New Testament Greek. It's my one job. I did it. Check. My payday, when when am I going to see the fruit of that? In eternity, at the judgment seat of Christ. And so suddenly, like, he didn't answer a single one of my questions. He answered all of my questions. It's you, and, and I'm telling you, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God can enter into your life, can enter into your heart and suddenly answer all of your questions so that you walk through life and you literally know everything. I'm not saying you know the details of everything, but I'm saying that you have a different perspective because our perspective is down here and we're asking, how does this fit with that? And when God pulled out my perspective and gave me his anointing, his spirit began to teach me what, what, what was the key to everything, I guess would be a better way to say it. So you don't necessarily know the details of everything, but you know the key to everything. You understand the key to everything. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for everybody here in City Chapel, everybody watching online. I want you to know everything. I want you to know it all. I want all of your questions to be answered in a moment. And yet none of your questions actually answered because they're dumb questions. (laughs) 
you know, I, I was asking dumb questions. How does Bible college line up with this particular job? Dumb question. Because it doesn't, and it doesn't need to. So many of our questions specifically are sort of silly and not really that important, but, the, but God knows what's behind those questions. God knows what you're really asking. God knows what you really want to know. And I believe God's ready to reveal what's behind all of your questions so that then you know everything. He can, in a moment, he can answer. Because many of us have, have had trauma. Well, why did I go through this trauma? Why did, well, why did God allow this, this to happen? Why did God allow that to happen? So many of our questions, I believe God doesn't want to answer specifically. He wants to answer one key to all of that. One answer that deals with all of it. He says, and, and what's, what's in the passage is that he just got done talking about those who had gone out from them. Well, who, who's that? Those were people known as Gnostics. Gnostic is the Greek word for knowledge. <laughs> because for them, coming to Jesus was good, but it wasn't the end of, of the story. For them to become truly spiritual and truly mature, you had to receive special knowledge. And you would get the special knowledge by listening to their teaching, reading their books, downloading their podcasts, <laughs> attending their church. You're going to get some special knowledge. Like Jesus is good and all, but then there's this special knowledge about how to handle your finances, how to handle your marriage. how to Like you're going to have to come over and listen, buy all our stuff, listen to all our materials so that then like you're really going to get the hookup when you get this special knowledge. And it's interesting that John just said these people who were so hungry for knowledge... Because they did not belong to Christ. In other words, because they didn't take the knowledge of Jesus and apply it to their life. Because they were always learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Because they were always getting head knowledge and never getting heart transformation. The head knowledge that went inside of them, the wisdom that went inside of them became folly because it stayed inside of them. And so he says they went out from us because they, ne they would never become transformed. They wouldn't become part of the body. And so the very thing that was meant to help feed them and grow them actually destroyed them. And they, they became foolish. They became ignorant. He says, but you, you know everything. <laughs> There's some, I'm telling you, there are some old gray hair saints that have been reading and studying for years. And honestly, then there's some new Christians and I look at them and I'm like, you know more than that guy. Because this guy has read his way into deception. He hasn't obeyed his way into, into knowing everything. He has read and studied his way into ignorance. Meanwhile, there are other people that have obeyed and submitted their way into a knowledge of all things. They know everything. They don't know as much as that guy, but they know everything. <laughs> everything they need to know. Everything that is helpful. Everything that is necessary. Everything that they need to know to be all that God's called them to be. So I want you to know everything. And, I, and, and, and by that, I don't mean I want you to come for the next 30 years of City Chapel, sit here and learn. It's not how you know everything. You know everything through this thing called the anointing. This thing, this thing called the anointing. John says you have an anointing, and basically because of that, you now know everything. Now that word anointing is interesting. The Greek word for, the, for that word anointing, not for every word anointing, but for the word that is translated anointing here in this passage is energia. So I've been, yeah, God's been leading me on this energia journey, if you've, if you've been listening to us. Energy is where we get our word energy from, but it's never translated energy in the New Testament. 
because I think people are too scared to translate it sounds too Eastern. It sounds too uh, Buddha-ish and uh, Hinduism, and it sounds too weird. But, but um, hey, newsflash, the Bible was written in the Middle East by Middle Easterners. It was not written by Westerners. It wasn't written by people who grew up with a, a language that was based on Latin. This is based on the Greek language. The Greek language is a lot more colorful than Latin. It's a lot more uh, uh, nuanced, which means it's more specific, but it's also more focused on things that, that we don't focus on in the Western world. So we want systematic theology. Well, systematic theology is not in Scripture. You have to take Scripture and chop it up into little bits to create a system of theology. The Scripture is written in a story form, in letter forms. These are all relational. These are all right brain kind of stuff. This is all Greek sort of thing. And so, and so it's not surprising that the early church used the word energy. Something like 33, 34 times this word energia is used in Scripture, and it's never translated energy. So the, 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 the Christian translators here are saying, well, how do we translate this word energy? Let's call it anointing because that's a churchy word. <laughs> so I'm not preaching anything new to you. I'm just giving you a different word, a more biblical word for what you already understand. That anointing uh, is, is, a, is a theme in the Old Testament of pouring on of oil. And it is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But here, this is not the word that's normally used for anointing. This is the word that is energy. Well, what is energy? It's a stirring inside of you by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. It's not your own energy. You don't bring your own energy. He says you have an energy from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy One. That's what he says. You're, you have an energy from the Holy One. Now, now, when I was driving in Miami, I had an energy from myself. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I did. I had a flesh-driven energy. You know, you, you, know, you know what a flesh energy feels like? It feels anxious. It feels fearful. It feels the need to defend itself. It feels the need to, to, to be competent. It feels the need to be liked. It feels, it feel, here's a big one. It gets offended really easily. You might have come across that lately. It also likes to bully people. Maybe you run into that on Facebook. I'm just wondering what you think. And then I'm going to jump down your throat when you explain to me what you think because you're dumb. That's, that's the energy that comes from the flesh. And it's anxious and it's nervous and, it, and it's in a hurry. The flesh is always in a hurry because it's the last hour. <laughs> but the flesh is this energy that comes from the flesh. And this is what I had as I'm cruising through Miami traffic, you know, um, speaking to people driving around me. <laughs> I had the energy of the flesh, and that will push you to sin. So much of sin, I'm, I'm convinced, is misguided or unbridled energy. It's, it's being driven from somewhere. It's, it's pushing, it's pulling, it's driving. It's never just, it's never just uh, natural. It's a, it's a magnetism to it. There's a push to it. There's a force to it. And that's, that's the, the energy of the flesh. And I was feeling that. And as I was cruising down the road, when, when I heard the Holy Spirit begin to speak to me, though, I immediately sensed a different energy. Have, have, have you ever been, and I'm not talking about spooky stuff. I mean, I sensed peace. Like I just sensed, I can slow down. I don't have to go, you know, 110 miles an hour down the freeway. 
because I could die. So the, the, the energy of the flesh can do really stupid things, can say really stupid things, can think really stupid things because it's not being driven by anything that is life-giving. But the energy of the Spirit is life-giving. The energy of the Spirit says, hey, you can slow down. The sun will come up tomorrow morning if you're late. And, and, the, and the energy of the Spirit I felt was peaceful. I felt was uh, joyful. I felt was restful. And so many of you are looking for these feelings that I'm mentioning. Well, this is where it comes from. It comes from the Holy One. He says, you have an energy that has come from the Holy One. You have a stirring inside of you that has come from the Holy One, not from the flesh, not from your society, not from your environment. That's why people get off Facebook, because there's such a rotten energy half the time. And it's the energy of this age. It's the, it's the, it's the energy of, 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 our, of our time. It's the energy of the news. It's the energy of somebody's always to blame for something, and there's probably always some kind of ulterior motive behind it. Even when the FBI says there isn't, but who cares what they say? Like, this is just, this is obviously, and, and it's just this constant push. What is that? It's a flow of energy that is the current energy of our day. But, but he says, for you all, you have an energy that's different from the energy around you. You have an energy inside of you that's different from the energy around you. And it's the energy of the Holy One, of the Holy Spirit. He's moving in you. You can feel it. And I'm not talking about emotions. I'm not talking about emotions because emotions will go up and down, right? Based on circumstances. You know that it's an energy of the Holy Spirit when it's a separate feeling from what your circumstance would normally have. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if, you're, if you would normally feel anxious and stressed, but you feel peace and at rest, that's probably an energy of the Holy Spirit. If you would normally feel prideful and puffed up, but instead you feel grateful, that's probably a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm just sw- swapping out words for energy and fruit because, because it really, it, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. He starts producing these things. He starts producing patience. He starts producing joy. He starts producing love. He starts producing gratefulness and thankfulness inside of you. It starts flowing out of you. It's not forced. It's not something, a checklist, but it's this stirring inside of you. And so I want that for every one of us because when you have the energy of the Holy Spirit, you know everything. You step into every given situation, and you don't know everything. You know everything. Because it's like, it's like the soundtrack of, a, soundtrack of a movie. Have you, ever, have, have you ever been watching a movie, and the soundtrack lets you know what to feel? Before, before anything changes, right? It's just, it's just a guy walking alone in the woods until the soundtrack changes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And then it's like, oh, something's about, something spooky, something's about, to happen, something's about to go wrong. Because the soundtrack is letting you know what to get ready for. It's preparing you. Well, that's what the energy of the Holy Spirit is. You walk into it, it starts letting you know what to prepare for. And so you don't know everything, but, but, you, but you know. You sense it. You feel it. You, you know what's happening. There's times I'm preaching and people are like, how do you know what we're talking? Do, do you have a sound? You, are you listening in on our conversation last night? Because you spoke directly to that. And no, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing in your bedroom, but I know everything. <laughs> and it's, it's not me. I don't know it. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. The Holy Spirit is drawing out of me. 
what to say. And I've, I've noticed this. I, 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 I used to be very nervous preaching because I, I hated public speaking. And so when I first started preaching, I mean, I was, I wouldn't even walk over here, right? Like I, I was, I was, cause this is protecting me, you know, this is, you don't, you don't see my pants this way. And so I'm like, I feel safer. It's a weird thing, but you feel safer. You actually feel safer if you hold on to it too. And so I used to have the whole lapel mic, you know, I both hands, I'm holding on to the platform and, and I'm, and I'm just, I'm just kind of reading, looking up occasionally, reading, looking you know, I mean, I was like, I had to work at, I had like the, okay, a couple of weeks, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to go over here. And I literally had to think about that. Like, I'm going to go where it's like the edge of it's like in the middle of my chest, you know, and I'm going to, and so I had to slowly work myself into this place where it kind of looks natural, but it's very rarely been natural. It's very, you know, people say you got to imagine people naked, you know, and that's, that doesn't work when you're preaching. That's the opposite of what you need to be imagining when you're preaching, you know? When your wife's sitting right in the front row, you don't know. You know, just get that, just talk about Jesus. And, uh, like, so, but, so there's not, but one thing I would do is instead of looking at people's eyes, because that's, uh, that's hard, it's intimidating. At first, it was intimidating for me. Now it's very helpful, but it used to be very intimidating. So I would look at people's foreheads. So they think you're looking at their eyes, <laughs> but you're really looking at their foreheads. This is, I'm giving you guys the secrets to public speaking. And um, uh, uh, I remember uh, I, was, I was ministering in San Marcos. I was on staff there. And one of uh, our um, college girls, they were part of this Christian sorority. And so they asked me to come to, um, what's it, Texas State down in San Marcos and do this open air preaching. They were going to put on this, this event. There was going to be like a band was going to play, and then they needed a speaker. So I said, sure, I'll go preach. And so I'm preaching, and it was open air in Texas State right outside of the cafeteria. And I don't know if it's this way now, but like six years ago, seven years ago, there was this cafeteria, and there's this hill. And so everybody was sitting on the hill. Meanwhile, there's a flat area. I'm standing on the flat area, which is lower, but the cafeteria door is like 10 feet from me. So people are coming in and out of the cafeteria the whole time I'm preaching, which was kind of distracting, but it's all good. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to focus on people on the hill, and I'm, I'm preaching. And I, I, I remember I, I, I kind of got going and started, and I just noticed that there was different um, energies going on. And, and there's this one guy that comes walking through, uh, comes out of the cafeteria, walks up the steps, you know. And as I'm preaching, I sense something different from him. And so I start saying what I sense. I start preaching. I'm not changing the scripture. I'm just applying it to what I'm sensing. There's, there's something right there, and this is how it applies. And like he stopped and like turned around and came and sat down. And it's so interesting. And that was the first time that I was like, God's speaking to specific. I know everything. God's speaking to specific people as I'm preaching. And as what I would call the direction of the Holy Spirit is also the Holy Spirit moving in me to speak to specific people. Like literal actual things, actual people, the actual, that their questions they're actually answer, asking. And the Holy Spirit wants to answer today. And I was like, oh, I thought I was just preparing a sermon, trying to explain the scripture and encourage somebody to a particular point to motivate them. Right? But no, it's much, it's much more than that. Which, that's why, that's why YouTube sermons are different. Because when you're listening to a YouTube sermon, you might be listening to wonderful points and really great humor and a beautifully sculpted sermon. But, but you don't have the interaction of the Holy Spirit speaking directly to you necessarily. 
It's hit and miss, you know, because sometimes it applies to you, sometimes it doesn't. But when, but when God's people get together, God does, there's an energy in the room that God is speaking to. And I think even online, there's been times when I've felt like this is for somebody online, so I'm speaking to the camera. And I, and I sense that God does that. What is that? Well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the energy of the Holy Spirit. And I want that for each one of you, not to where you're, you know, prophesying to people in the middle of Walmart, but maybe... Maybe, may, maybe just maybe God can use you to say the right thing to the right person at the right time in the right way with the right attitude, with the right tone in the right moment. And then God reaches out to them and does something in their life. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is he's not just interested in you getting to heaven. He's interested in everyone around you and he wants to speak to them through you and me. And so this is what the energy of the Holy Spirit will do. It'll stir up inside of you, and the anointing will feel different than uh, just your flesh because uh, God is working. And so just to help explain this a little bit, Philippians chapter 2. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Is it a little warm in here, or is it just me? Yeah? Fired up. Maybe I'm just fired up. It's hard to say, but... All right. Uh, therefore, my dear friends, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a common passage that's been preached a lot. Uh, therefore, he says, now he's talking about obedience. As you've always obeyed, he said. So this is action. Now, some might say this is, this is Philippians. This is written by Paul. Some might say that Paul was, was more of the, pro, the, the apostle of grace than the apostle of obedience, right? And here he is talking about obedience. Well, why is that? Oh, because grace and obedience go hand in hand. And so he says, he says, as you've always obeyed, even in my absence and now much, or even in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, he says, to work out your salvation. Now, this does not mean continue to negotiate out your salvation, <laughs> figure out your salvation. It doesn't mean figure out how you can be saved or stay saved. All right, Salvation is a gift from God through faith in Jesus. They've received their salvation. He says, I want you to work now from your salvation. In other words, you're saved. You've been delivered. You belong to Christ. But now the people in your life need to see that working itself out. You need to work it. <laughs> work it out. It's in you. That's great. But now it's got to get into practice so that your employer knows that you are like Christ. So that your spouse knows you are like Christ. Your children recognize you are like Christ. That this Christ-like or Christian thing that happened in you can't stay in you. It's got to get out of you. It has to work its way out. So he says, I want you to continue working out or living out. That'd probably be a better way to say it. Living out your salvation. And then he says, with fear and trembling. Well, why? Because it's an it's a awesome responsibility to be a representative of Christ on the earth. So you, you, you ought to approach it, not, 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 not carelessly, but with fear and trembling. But then he says, uh, he says uh, in verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, uh, I think it was Augustine who said, um, based on this passage, he said, uh, We work, but it is really God working within us. We will and do, but it is really God willing and doing within us. And that's very close to accurate, 
I would want to correct Augustine, though, because he is a Westerner. And so he uses a different word than Paul uses, who's an Easterner. Paul doesn't say we work, but it's really God working. Paul says we work because it is God working. So Westerners tend to see uh, paradoxes where there isn't necessarily a paradox. We like to see that two opposing truths held in tension where these are not opposing truths. These are correlating movements. The difference is subtle, but it's really important. We often think of it this way. We work, but it's really God working inside of us. Right? We, 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 we change out the tires on people's cars, but it's really the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of us to be like Christ. No, no. We change out the tires on people's cars because the Holy Spirit is working inside of us. Whatever your job is, if it's changing out tires, if it's an electrician, if it's, if it's a, a, a therapist helping people, whatever your job may be in, in, the, in, in the medical profession, whatever your job may be, we, we, we do what we do. We work out our salvation. The, the, the Christ inside of us comes out through us, not in spite of us, but because of what God is doing inside of us. So there's a correlation here. This is not two opposing truths held in tension. These are two truths that build upon each other. Christ is working within us. The Holy Spirit is stirring within us. There is an anointing. There's an energy inside of us. And because of that, these works or these actions start happening in our life. And so he says, I want to work out your continue, your, your, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is working in you. Now, once again, we have to go to the original language and just, just to look at that. It says God is working in you or God works in you. That word work is, guess what? Guess what word? Energia. It comes from the word energia. Now, the word work for us that we're doing, that's not energia because we don't produce our own energy. We produce the work of it. We do things with the Holy Spirit, though, does things in here. And the way scripture describes what he does in here is energy. It's very different from us. We're working out here. But what he is doing, uh, your English translation says that he works in us. But the original language is that he energizes us. He stirs us up. He fires us up. He gets us motivated. He gets us stirred. He, he works something inside of us. And once again, this is so much better. Look, an energy is so much better than an instruction. Because in our, in our sort of Western world, we would rather have a list of instructions. And when we say God's working on me, we kind of give a detailed list. Well, he's working on my pride, and he's working on my attitude, and he's trying to change this. And we have a list. But this is, not, this, is, this is not a work that God's doing in us. This is an energy that he is building inside of us. And the, and, and the key difference is an energy lets you know everything. Because a list, you only know what's on the list. But an energy lets you know everything. For instance, uh, David was anointed to be king over Israel. He was anointed when he was young, but he was never given an instruction manual. As far as we know, he was never given any other details other than, hey, kid, um, God has anointed you to be the next king of Israel. Here's some oil on your head. Now go feed the sheep. <laughs> And he goes out for years. He's still tending the sheep. 
There's no instruction. There's no, well, let's see, in a few years, you're going to meet a giant, and you're going to need to take him down. That's going to be an important part of the plan. Nobody tells him any of that. There's no instruction. There's just an anointing. And that anointing is working in him. And as he spends time in the field, literally engaging with the anointing that God has within him, expressing the energy he feels toward his father on Psalm 145, which we read today, he's worshiping, he's singing. That's all right brain stuff, right? And he's not getting a downloaded list of how, you know, seven easy steps to become the next king of Israel. He just, he's, just, he's just getting close to the heart of the father. And as he gets close to the heart of the father, one day he walks into an environment where there's this big giant who is, who's defying the armies of Israel. And he's the only one. He's the only one in Israel who's got a problem with that. He's the only one that's stirred up, fired up about this giant. There's other people that are worried about the giant. There's, other, there's the king who's trying to figure out how he looks in the middle of the giant situation. There's various people who are feeling various things. A lot of energy is going on around him. But there's one angry, and it's an, or there's one energy, and it's an energy of anger. And David feels this angry energy that God is mad at his enemy. That God is fired up and he wants to eliminate his enemy. And David's the only one that senses it. And he goes to the, to the king and he's like, king, I can take this guy. And he's like, yeah, you're just a kid. He's like, yeah, but I've killed a few animals in my time. And then he says, but the main thing is this guy has defied the armies of Israel. Somebody has to do something about this enemy. How did he know that? Because <laughs> he knows everything. Because he has an energy inside of him, the Holy Spirit is getting rubbed the wrong way. And I'm telling you, when you get close to God and his spirit starts working within your spirit, you're not only going to fall in love with different things than other people fall in love with, you're also going to be angry at things that other people are not angry at. It's interesting, our culture gets offended really easily at everything except sin. <laughs> And, and I'm telling you, there's a spirit of God moving that he's not okay with that which would destroy you. He's not okay with that which would destroy your family. He's not okay with, with the thing that would take you down. And he viciously, violently wants to destroy it. And David feels it in his gut. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but he feels it. He's fired up because the spirit of God inside of him is fired up. And he doesn't need to get fired up because a preacher gets fired up. And he doesn't need a great sermon or anything. He senses it. Something's wrong here. This is what's wrong. I need to attack it. And so you, this, is how, this is how David knows everything. He doesn't really know the path to the kingdom. But he feels in his heart that this is wrong and he attacks it. And, and, he, and he says, look, I come to you with the name. Uh, the name of the, that, you, that you have defied, the name that you have come against. Because that's really what was happening here. Goliath was not defying Israel. He was defying the God of Israel. David was able to see from a higher level than everybody else around him. And I want that same thing for you. I want the same anointing for you. I want the same power for you. Not, not, not that God would download a list of instructions and tell you exactly what to do, but that you would get so close to the heart of the Father, Father that you receive an impartation of his spirit into your stomach, into your spirit that fires you up over stuff that God's fired up about, that calms you down over stuff God's calm about. 
that makes you rejoice over stuff that God's rejoicing about, that makes you angry over stuff that God's angry about, makes you passionate about stuff God's passionate about. Because then there's no need for a list of instructions. Do this, don't do this, don't do that. Because all the to-do list and don't-do list comes out of this energy. It all flows out of this right here. He says it is God who is moving or stirring or burning or glowing within you. It is God who is energizing you toward a couple of things. He says, first, to will and to do his will, God's will. And, and that's, that's an important process. The energy that God wants to share with you, which is his spirit, it's the spirit moving inside of you, it will address you at a desire level. Does that make sense? It will address you, you at a desire level. In other words, not at a, not at a behavior level at a desire level. Most of us in the West, we talk a lot about decisions, right? And even in church, well, I made a decision for Jesus. All right, that's, that's how we say we got saved. We made a decision. Because to us, really, life could be summed up in just a whole bunch of decisions. Decisions and consequences, that's how we think. And yet, God, when you get close to him, he's far less concerned about your decisions than he is your desires, because your desires drive your decisions. And so if you stay at the decision level, you're just going to say, well, I need to try to learn to make better decisions. Good luck. If you still desire the wrong thing, good luck. I mean, <laughs> your desires will come out. And so that's why he says that the Holy Spirit is, is stirring inside of me to change my desires. To, to create in me a desire for his will. He says he will, he's working in me, he's energizing me to will, first of all, to desire, to will, to desire his purposes, to desire his plans, to desire his glory, to desire his fame. To desire, and, and these desires are not desires of the flesh, right? These are the desires of the spirit, and that's what is stirring up inside of us. He's stirring up a desire to change the way uh, that, that we desire. But not only that, he says also to act, to will and to act. Now, what's interesting is, oh, hey, this is a different slide, but that's cool. Um, that's, see, because, so, um, yeah, to act. So, for it is God who works or energizes in you to desire and to act in order to fulfill his, his purpose or his will. Now, that word to act is the word energia. So, 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 that's, so, that's why on the next slide, I just have a hairy translation. I don't want to pretend like that's a real translation. That's not. That's just me. Um, it's, this is the way I see it. Because God is energizing you to desire for yourself and to energize others toward his will. God is energizing you to change your desires, but also that you would become an energizer, that you would energize his purpose on the earth. That, that you would be a transmitter of his energy. That you would be a, a conduit, if you will, of his energy. That his energy is flowing 
from the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit into your heart. But it doesn't need to dead end there. You need to, you need to connect. You need to plug in to other people and allow the energy of the Holy Spirit to flow through you to them. Because it is his energy that makes everything come alive. Your vehicle is dead until you put a battery in it. It's got a lot of other great stuff going on. You can have a really big engine, but if that battery is not connected, if there's no power going to that, then it's, it's dead. And, 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 and the, the Christian is supposed to be the battery of society. The, if, if, if society is a vehicle, the Christian, the church... The Christians, individual, not the church as a whole, but the individual Christians, you guys are batteries in your workplace for the, for the Holy Spirit. So if there's a decrease in the Holy Spirit in a society, that's because there's a lack of power in the people that call themselves Christians. There's a lack of power or there's a lack of connectivity. So they either don't have the energy flowing inside of them or they have it flowing inside of them. They don't let it flow to anybody else. They go to church, shout and jump and run around and dance around and have a great time. Then they go home. And then they put on their work face and then they put on their work Facebook and then they put on their, their and, and then they present themselves in a completely different way to everybody else. And then they come to church, they fire up, get shout down, remember, and, then, and then they go home and then they go and, and, and they, they do not allow the energy that God has placed inside of them to be passed on to anybody else. They block it because it's embarrassing. It's not socially acceptable. It's weird. And it is, if you take a battery and plug it into a car, you are introducing 12 volts of power <laughs> into a line that previously had zero volts of power in it. And if anything is off, fuses are going to go. I'd say this from experience. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to blow a few. Some folks are going to blow their fuse when they come into contact with your energy. Absolutely. You're going to make some people angry. Well, our founder was crucified, so I guess some people might get a little testy when you show unconditional love and grace and mercy and all the fruit of the Spirit. When they are encountering that, it will prick their conscience, convict them, and some of them will react kind of violently. But this is the problem. When Christians shrink back in fear then they disconnect the power to the society. And the society is going down as a whole because the Christians are not connecting. It's not that they're not connecting in terms of socially. Well, they're connecting socially, but they're not allowing the energy of the Holy Spirit to flow through them in those social connections. They don't, they don't explain why they have peace. They don't explain why they have joy. They don't explain where their hope comes from. They don't explain how they made it through the loss of that, of that, of that, of that loved one. They don't, ex- they, it's just, it's just, well, it's just, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, and so society is left to try to gain, gain power from other sources. And it, there's no human source that can replace the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, and, and even in the church. This is how the church was made to work. Just quickly, I don't have this on the screen, but I thought of this this morning. Ephesians 4.16 says, and this, I've talked about this on first Wednesday, but Ephesians 4.16, um, he's talking about the body of Christ, and he says, from whom, from Christ, the whole body is fitly joined together. Or that's you and me. Fitly joined means perfectly put together. God places people in his body as he sees fit. He puts them perfectly together. You, you, you look around, you don't think it's perfect, but God thinks diversity is perfectly put together. 
God thinks a multitude of experiences and backgrounds is perfectly put together. Uh, layers, different layers of maturity perfectly put together. So God's version of perfect and ours are two different things. So anyway, I'll let you figure that one out. But he says that Christ, another passage says that he got caught. Christ has put people in the church as he sees fit. So it, here he says that he has fitly joined them together. But then there's this other, this is the King James version because I like how it says it. It says, and compacted them, compacted them. Uh, other translations say hold them together. Or I think one translation actually talks about like muscles uh, going around them. And this is a visual of a human body, that we are the body of Christ. And so these bones are kind of um, um, put into sockets and, and put into various little cartilage sockets. But then there are various muscles and skin and, and other things wrapped around them to hold them in place. And that's what it means here. He, God puts them, Jesus puts them together, but then they are compacted together. They stay together by that which each joint supplieth. King James, by that which each joint supplieth. So God, Christ puts us together, but how do we stick together? By Christ? No. Christ puts us together. We stick together by that which each joint supplieth. Well, what's that? It says right here, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. The word effectual working, guess what that is? That's energia. Let's, let's read it with that in mind. According to the energy in the measure that every part has. In other words, the body of Christ comes together through the, the sovereignty of God. But it stays together. Because it, it brings, each part brings an energy of the Holy Spirit to the table. And it's different for everyone. Because the Holy Spirit is not just, he's not, he doesn't look just like Harry, and he doesn't look just like Roe, but he works in Harry, he works in Roe, he works in Mia, he works in Jonathan, he works in Donna, and, and that energy will come out differently as he's working in you. But the way we stay together is as the Holy Spirit flows through you to me. That's what keeps us together. I left the church because I just didn't feel connected to anybody. I just didn't feel connected. Just wanted to feel connected. Started feeling unconnected. Okay, well, well what, what is the connection? Well, you, we need to get in a small group, of course. Hmm, maybe. Well, you need to, you need to uh, serve on a, on a serving team. That's a connection. Yeah, sort of. But I know people that serving on serving teams, leading small groups, not connected. I just don't feel connected, Pastor. Hmm. According to Ephesians 4.16, connection happens when the Holy Spirit that's stirring in you connects with the Holy Spirit that's stirring in me. Oftentimes, a lack of connection is a result of a lack of stirring. So I would encourage you, get in a small group, start serving. That'll help you connect socially. But this is not what keeps us together. Social connection. No. It is the stirring of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you don't feed the Holy Spirit inside of you, you will not have a Holy Spirit reaching out from you to me. 
which is why connection has nothing to do with knowledge level. I can, I, we can connect with each other, even though this person may be in kindergarten spiritually and this person may be in, P, in their PhD class spiritually. It doesn't matter because the same Holy Spirit is working in you as is working in me. If the Holy Spirit's working in you. But on the other hand, you can have a PhD level person and another PhD level person, but this PhD level person has long since let go of the Holy Spirit in their life. And they know a lot, but they don't know everything. <laughs> I just don't feel connected. I just, I just, I don't know. I need to go place someplace where I feel connected. Well, yeah, definitely you do. Because that's what holds us together, this connection. That's what keeps the church, the body together. But that connection starts with the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you. Because he says right here, they are compacted or they are bound together by that which every joint brings to the table. So every piece is supposed to bring the energy of the Holy Spirit. And then that energy of the Holy Spirit encourages me. Which, be, which means I need you. I need your energy. Even those of you that are not very energetic. <laughs> right? And then those that are overly energetic. Jonathan, yeah, we, we need you too. We need you too. Some of you could use a little, if Jonathan's got any extra, some of you could use a little bit, a little help. But, but no, I like it because it's not, it's, not, it's not an emotion, right? So some of us express it more, emotion, more emotively, and that's, that's fine, that's good, but that's occurring inside of you. In other words, you need to receive this anointing. And so, Father, I, I pray right now that everybody, uh, under the sound of my voice, everybody online, everybody here in person, Lord, that you would baptize us in your Holy Spirit, in the energy that is moving in the heavenly realms, the energy that is pulsating in heaven to the beat of heaven, to the pulsation of heaven, all of all of the, this earth is actually, is actually moving in rhythm. This earth is producing in particular seasons and at particular times. And nobody sets a stopwatch and nobody announces anything to the head, to the, to the, when the, when the hedgehog sees a shadow or whatever they like, groundhog. Like nobody tells them what to see or when to change or when to move. It's this, it's a, but it's a rhythm. It's a circadian rhythm that's, that's moving and pulsating throughout all of creation. Who set the drum beat? Who keeps time? Where's the metronome here? It is God who works within us or energizes within us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It is God who stirs up inside of us. It is God who keeps the timing and heaven's rhythm. It is God that directs churches that are on opposite sides of the world and yet they come to the same conclusion at the same time. They're praying for the same thing at the same time, feeling the same burdens over the same issues, crying out, and they haven't joined up on Zoom yet, but they're crying out over the same, they're feeling burden over the same things. This is the energy of the Holy Spirit that he's moving and we're in tune with it and we're sensing it and we're feeling it. Oh God, may all of us be in that place. May all of us be baptized in the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we feel what you feel. So we love what you love and hate what you hate. Lord, may nobody at City Chapel just go to church and check off a list. May nobody at City Chapel just get head knowledge and learn something today. But may all of us be baptized in the energy that's coming from heaven. May it be in us so that it can, it can come out of us. 
so that it can connect to others here in church, but it can also connect to the world and it can also energize this world for, for good and for love and for peace in our city and in our township and in our area and in our state, that the fruit of the Spirit will be multiplied in Texas because of the multiplication of churches. That as churches come together, that your spirit would be multiplied because Christians are plugging into their society. They're energizing it, not being drained by it. Or may we energize our society, not be drained by our society. We don't have to unplug to maintain the, the rhythm of heaven. We don't have to go away for seven days in the mountains and just, just us and Jesus to, 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 to sense the rhythm of heaven. We may have to slow down a little bit. <laughs> we may have to take some time to slow down a little bit. But, but your rhythm is available to us wherever we are, in our office, in our vehicles, in our bedroom, wherever we are. We don't, it's not just on the mountains. It's not just in nature. It's everywhere all around us. It's in him we live. It's in him we move. It's in him we have our being. Huh. Lord, would you baptize us in this energy? May we sense that. We feel that as we move into the season. And even in the season of uh, uh, Easter, this is a season where you're calling people and drawing people. This is a season of new beginnings. This is a season of new life. This is part of the rhythm. It's part of the rhythm of, of what you're doing in the earth. May we take advantage of that, God. Not to, be, not to be timid, not to be afraid of what other people think of us because we invite them to church or because we share something on our Facebook or because we speak out about truth and about love and about justice. May the energy inside of us push us to plug into those around us in Jesus' name.